your imaginary friend? What's imaginary? Well, it's where you make someone up in your head so that you have someone to talk to. It keeps you from being lonely. Are they funny? Sure. Do they fly? I guess they can do whatever you want them to. That's what makes them imaginary. Are you my imaginary friend too? <laughs> I'm real. So is Ellie. Hello and welcome to the Vertical Viewing Podcast from Vancouver, British Columbia. This is episode number 95 and my name is Scott. My name is Michael. Awesome. Just the two of us. All righty. On today's episode, we're going to catch up on the films and TV shows we've been watching, uh, as well as the week in film news, before our featured review of Manchester by the Sea. Not the Manchester, England. No. Manchester by the Sea, which doesn't exist, correct? I, I don't know, does it? I don't think this is a real place. It might. Uh, directed by Kenneth Lonergan, starring Casey Affleck. Uh, this one was a big one coming out of Sundance. A lot of people talking about Casey Affleck's performance. Masterpiece is what you see written all over the poster. Like shoo-in for Oscar. Crazy, right? Yeah. Well, we can figure this one out, can't we? No, I have a few things to say about it. All right. Uh, You can subscribe to all of our episodes on iTunes or through the podcast software of your choice. When you get to iTunes, what can you do? What's the the main objective? Uh, Subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Okay. And then a recipe's going into that little box there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you feel like this week? Ooh, that is a good question. It's always so hard. Putting, I should have this ready before we record. You never do. I never do. I don't know why. Even U.S. Thanksgiving's over, so you can't go there. Hmm. Right? Well, you, we could ask for some sort of Thanksgiving-inspired leftover dish. Christmas is coming up. I, I My family does okay. turkey, so... Okay. Yeah, that's a nice one. What do you do with your leftovers? Yeah. How do you prepare them? Is there a great dish? Do you just throw them in the food processor, just, blend them up, and sh- drink them like a shake? No, what you do is you, you put them in the food processor, and then you pour them into like a bread pan, and then you cook that, and then that's what you call prison loaf. <laughs> Christmas loaf. Because apparently you can just throw that into a prisoner's cell, and he can eat it with his hands. Mm-hmm. Because then you don't want to have like a knife and fork because it'll hurt people. I could, you know what, with the mashed potatoes, the turkey, the st- I could see that tasting pretty good. <laughs> Just make a weird meatloaf, like a Thanksgiving loaf oh. out of everything. Well, see, my sister would always take everything on the plate and just mix it together into this weird mashed Christmas dinner goo. Uh, yeah. So crisping that up and making it. Something you can eat with your hands and, and might people, be okay. Uh, people often do mush everything together on their plate. Oh, like she would? Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen that before. It <laughs> it never appealed to me. It gets but crazy. I, I think that's the British way of eating. You like you you mash each piece of what you're eating together onto the fork, and then you crush that like mm, all the flavors at once. Yeah. Uh, you can also go to our website. It is verticalviewing.com. There's a little donate button. That little donate button's shiny and yellow. Makes you want to click it. Yeah, it does. Makes you want to go over to PayPal, drop a couple of bucks in for the old vertical viewing boys. And we will say thank you. We will. Uh, it helps us offset the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show, uh, slicing out that internet turkey. 
In fact, we do say thank you. Thank and you then for the donations. Putting it into the old food processor, you know the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Making the old turkey loaf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate anything you can do. Uh, like I said, keep helps us keep the lights on around here. And uh, the lights dry. It's, yeah, it's currently very very <clears throat> wet in Vancouver. So. Yeah, it is. So yeah, click that PayPal button. Donate verticalviewing.com. Uh, always helps us keep the show ad free. Always will be. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, unless we get more donations. It's really up to the listeners here. If you want to hear ads, then don't bother donating. But you know what? Do it, because ads are brutal, right? Fuck Casper mattresses. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, You know what? Let's get some ads. If they called (laughs) us, we would probably say yes. I'm going to start reading out ads. Send your thoughts and recommendations to our email address. It is verticalviewing at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at verticalviewing. We are on Napster at verticalviewing. We're actually on Instagram at verticalviewing. On LimeWire. Check that out right there. Yeah, Mm LimeWire? That's really good. Vertical Viewing on all your social media platforms. Um, Yeah. Any other housekeeping? Probably not. I think that covers it. Is our Instagram really kicking or? No. No? <laughs> okay. Just being honest, it's... Uh, yeah, that's fine. I've, uh, I've been having trouble motivating myself to do things <laughs> lately, so... Well, no, Instagram is probably at the bottom of your list. Yeah. Right? But I want to bump it up a few notches. It's all good. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into the show. What have you been watching, Mike? What's uh, new? Well, I just watched Moana, Disney's new oh, you animated it out, eh? feature. It's uh, it's quite the film. I the animation is amazing. Uh, the songs, a lot of the songs were written by Lin Manuel, uh, Hamilton, Miranda. Hamilton Miranda. Yeah. Uh, the music, the music's good. The voice acting's all great. The story is kind of it's refreshing for a Disney princess. They actually make fun of that trope in the film. We saw that in Frozen. I don't know if you've seen Frozen. Mm-mm. They're sort of making fun of their own stories because in Frozen, uh, one of the princesses gets engaged in the same day she met a dude. And throughout the course of the movie, everyone's like, you've known this guy for a day. Who gets engaged in it? But obviously, that's like how Disney movies go. Okay. So they're making fun of their own storytelling. Um, Chris Rock plays Maui, uh, voice acting in this. I think this might be the first time he's done any th- voice isn't it acting. The Rock? Did I say Chris Rock? Yeah, you certainly sorry. did. Sorry, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Not Chris Rock. Apologies. <laughs> no, yeah, sorry. The Rock. The Rock. Uh, I prefer Dwayne Johnson to Chris Rock. Just I, I, to say. Chris Rock, Rock wishes he was The Rock. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, so he plays Maui, who is a demigod. Um and when he meets Moana, he calls her princess, and she's just like, Well, I'm not a princess. She's I'm the daughter of the chief of the village. He's like, You're wearing a dress, you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. It's like, ah, oh, ha, they're making fun of their own tropes. Well played. Uh but the story is really just about Moana. Uh it's her story. It's about her trying to save the world, basically. Uh okay. like as we start off the idea is, uh, is, she, is she is she mistaken for a princess or no no she she's sort of royalty but she's not really a princess. Uh, Tafini, the goddess of life in this world, and I believe probably Maori um, mythology, their religion, um, has her heart stolen by Maui, and things start to become corrupted, 
so this darkness spreads out from where Tafini was resting. Like she basically lays down in the ocean and becomes this big island. So he goes in and steals her heart from her, which is a gem, and she just turns black and this darkness starts spreading out. Uh, and so we learn about that right at the start of the movie through Moana's grandma telling the, their history of, of the tribe uh, and you know where, where they come from. And then, of course, the darkness comes to the island and Moana sets off to try and save the world um, with the heart because the ocean itself, it plays a character in this. The ocean is alive and shows her to save the world. Yeah, I saw this. So she can kind of do like the abyss kind of stuff. Sort of like the ocean will pop up all abyss style and like nod and stuff like that. Uh, It's really adorable at the start because we get little tiny baby Moana and no one does cute better than Disney. So she's got like ridiculously large eyeballs giant eyes uh the animation is so good she's just kind of stumbling around on the beach the ocean parts and shows a seashell so she walks in and it just keeps parting further and further and so this little baby's just wandering underneath the ocean and you look the, the camera shows all around her and just through the water manta rays and everything swimming around it's a beautiful film mm. like it's really well done yeah, okay this sounds dope uh, and so the story is her trying to find Maui, who took the heart, and get him to put it back. You're like, okay, bit of a trope here. You know, she, the, the woman is getting this this hero guy to save the day. Uh, I won't get into too many spoilers here, but not like it's it's really about her doing stuff and her keep like finding herself and saving the day, mm-hmm. not relying on anybody else. Yes, she's not. Yeah, and it's it's refreshing taking a back seat to a male it, character. Exactly, uh, and it's it's refreshing to see no love stories involved in this. It's a bit of a first for Disney. It's just Frozen. Frozen has a love story. Okay. Um, Zootopia does that. Well, one? Zootopia doesn't. Zootopia, I actually think, is a superior film all like all told story wise. Uh, but Moana is just really entertaining and got a little misty many times mm. like not just the climax um it's it's definitely worth checking out yeah i got i got a bit misty at a kids movie this week as well they they do it they can do it pretty well those yeah, kids a, movies a disney a disney movie uh, uh, misted me up yeah so I, I won't get into spoilers chris rock does sing a song the rock why do i keep saying chris rock cuz you're probably you're probably thinking of madagascar movies oh i totally am uh, the Rock. Are they still making those? I think. Uh, I don't know. I hope they're not. He's in those. Uh, I'm sorry, Dwayne Johnson. He's... I really am. Dwayne Johnson does a really great job as Maui, and he does have a musical number. He's not a singer, but he does a pretty good job. Uh, actually, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords also plays one of the characters briefly in the film, and he has a song. And it's pretty, like, all of the songs are really good, which, uh, usually there's one that really stands out. I was reading a review where someone was saying that there aren't really any breakout songs, like Frozen had Let It Go, that everybody and their dog will sing on at karaoke. Uh, I think the problem here is this has three, about three really good songs. So you can't just pick one mm-hmm. of them so no, to be the breakout. No, no big standout. Um, well, they're all standout is the problem. Like they're all good. Whereas the other Disney movies will have like one really good song and a couple others that are all right. 
But this is... I, I just think it did a very great job. So, uh, in closing, I give Moana like a 9 out of 10. Whoa. It's a really good movie. Uh, very touching and heartfelt. It's nice to see Disney branch out a little f- from their tropes and the Disney princess storyline and all of that. And the animation is spectacular. Yeah, it looks really good. Like, they were talking about the programs and tools they had to create for the hair. Good God, does it show. Like, it's unbelievable what they do in that movie. It looks it looks really intricate with all of the, um, like, crazy tattoos on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the water looking all detailed. They're, um, they're very respectful towards the culture. Uh, I think almost all of the voice actors. Moana, I'm actually going to look up her <clears throat> name. I think it's... Alili something. Um, yeah, she's a newcomer. She's a newcomer. Right. They they, they did a, a search for her. Every she, the, the like the comparison for me seems to come to Kubo and the Two Strings. I don't know why my mind is going there, um, but it feels like they're trying to tap into sort of another country's mythology uh, and create like a new story out of it. I don't know. Did that was that the case in Moana at all? Uh, sort of. We don't. We don't get a lot of stories from this culture. Um, and I'm gonna mispronounce her name. Uh, Aulii Crivalo. She does a great job. Everybody does. I think most, if not, I, I think almost everybody in this film had to have at least some sort of relation to. That culture, like the rock, is half mm-hmm. is a Maori. Um, so they were very rock. Was, rock is like Samoan. Samoan, that's what it is. Yeah, he's half Samoan. But then you you have Jermaine Clement, who's Maori, and then yeah, uh, Taiko Watiti. He helped write it. Yeah, it's um, a pretty smart idea. Yeah, so I, I was very impressed. They, I don't know how many Japanese people were involved in. Kubo and the Two Strings. I mean, I don't know if Alan Tudyk uh, has any Not Polynesian in him. Really, but sounds... he uh, he just made chicken sounds, so <laughs> that, I don't think that matters so much. Yeah, he, okay. he, he's credited as the voice of Hey Hey, who was the most idiotic chicken you've ever seen in a film. Uh, there's actually a, a line <laughs> where one of the village people, village people, one of the people in the village is talking about the chicken, saying there needs to be at least some sort of spark in an animal's eyes of intelligence for them to function, but somehow he doesn't have it. Like, it's just this stupid chicken. So he stole the show a little bit? It was pretty good. Okay. I like it. Kind of like the, um, what was it, the pigeon? Or what was it in Finding Dory? Oh. uh, I forget her name. Her name was like Jessica or something. Uh, But she was sort of like a mentally ill duck or something. Yeah. It was very strange. Yeah, you know, Disney... I was thinking about that as I was watching the film in our discussion about how they're making fun of disabilities. It sometimes it seems it like. sometimes happens, yeah. Uh, but I think at least with Hey Hey, there wasn't anything obviously wrong except he was just not even there. It's <laughs> okay. like he's on autopilot. It's a silly chicken. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't as okay. as. But I definitely came up while I was watching it. Yeah, my mind went. Oh yeah, remember that conversation? If it happens a third time, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take notice here. Yeah. Um. So I watched Bad Santa two. Ooh. How was that? Mm-hmm. Oh no! Oh no! Uh. I want before you even say anything. I want to know. Did it lessen the original? 
in any way, shape, or form? Definitely not. Good. That's all I care about. Definitely not. It's a it's a very different movie because you know people are much older in it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Thurman Merman is now like sixteen, and he works <laughs> at a basically like a hoagie store. He makes hoagies like at the mall. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, there's a great scene. He shows up in Chicago following Willie Soak. Billy Bob Thornton's character, he just blindly gets on a bus and goes to Chicago to be with him during the holidays. Uh, it's really cold out, and so he's wearing his clear plastic sandwich-making gloves. Like, to him, that's... <laughs> Those are the gloves? Yeah, like, oh, we're in Chicago, it's snowing, I'll put my gloves on. So he puts on these sort of clear well, you know, sandwich gloves. Those would help a little. Yeah, maybe. But better than nothing, I guess. The movie is, it, like I said, it's different. He, it's about, uh, you know, the little Tony Cox, like the mm, yep. little dwarf dude, uh, little person, I don't know, because uh, he plays a dwarf. And then Billy Bob Thornton going for another job, and then this time they're in Chicago trying to knock over this um, Christmas, like a like a holiday fundraiser at this, I don't know what to call it, it's like a charity house. Okay. Um, like a, a house, I guess, for taking in homeless people and soup kitchen. This, like a Salvation Army type. Yeah, thing? like a big mansion with like a big foundation of okay of cash and a safe. They're gonna knock it over, uh, and as he, one does. Yeah, and 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 all the money's coming in through the Santas, you know, on the street corner, collecting cash. So, uh, it's the same exact thing. It's a heist movie. Kathy Bates is pretty amazing in this. Hmm. Kathy Bates plays Billy Bob Thornton's mother. Um, and so the back and forth between them gets really amazing, really raunchy, really hilarious. I can imagine how she would play his mother. Um, she has really short hair. She looks really like, looks like she's a rugby player. I'll say that. Uh, she's a very, okay. Very rough looking girl in this movie. Um, plays the character perfectly. There's a part where she's like sick and she's coughing throughout the movie. Um, and Billy Bob Thornton gets like a thing of cough syrup, hands it to her in the car, and she goes, "Oh, great! I haven't got tussed uh, tussed up in a while." <laughs> oh, no. Drinking the old oh. Robitussin. Uh, so I thought getting tussed tussed up was a really good phrase. Yeah, I might use that. Uh, and then I, which prompted, uh, which prompted a Wikipedia rabbit hole search of like what exactly Sizzurp or purple drink is, and. Uh, getting getting slizzard, getting crazy fucked up on codeine cough syrup. Some people really just need to party hard, don't they? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It turns out that, uh, but yeah, Bad Santa too. It was disappointing just because it felt like a retread big time. Um, there's a lot of funny. See, a lot of the humor felt forced. There is some funny shit, but. A lot of it feels really like people swearing and jumping up and down and mm. saying dick and pussy and shit and motherfucker, you know. It's like, oh, shit, we don't know how to make this funny. <sighs> just just yell and swear a bunch. and Yeah. Some... It's, it's not bad. It, it, it actually improved my enjoyment of the first one. Oh, okay. Just because that one is... Lightning in a bottle. You know the Coen brothers mm-hmm. produced that thing? Oh, really? Yeah, the first Bad Santa film. I did not know that. I think they okay. did. A, I think they did an uncredited pass on the screenplay as well. So there's a well. Re- I guess there's a reason that it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the second one, it's still worth watching. It's still funny. Um, it, this is um, it's 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 a six at best though. 
Uh, That's not bad, though. Sometimes you yeah. want a good six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the credit sequence at the end is quite hilarious. Uh, taking a page out of the sort of hangover where you have a bunch of snapshots of something extremely rude happening. Yeah, Maybe okay. with someone's balls and someone's forehead. Uh, I love uh, <laughs> the hangover when they find the camera and they go through the pictures. It's literally the, the same thing. It's like an Instagram account. Uh <laughs> That Billy Bob Thornton dedicates to like putting his balls on Tony Cox's <laughs> forehead. Um, okay, <laughs> pretty good. Um, but yeah, like six out of ten at the very best. What else you got? Uh, I also watched True Memoirs of an International Assassin. You, you didn't do this on Netflix with Kevin James. Uh, this is far better than any of the Adam Sandler movies that have been on there. Uh, for anyone who is not aware of what this is, it's about a aspiring writer. He's not actually <laughs> even a published writer yet. Kevin James just works in an office and he wants to write about this cool James Bond style character. Uh, and he gets it published from this new like millennial who changes it from memoirs of an international assassin to true memoirs of an international assassin. He gets kidnapped, taken down to Venezuela. Andy Garcia, who plays El Toro, wants him to kill the president, who's played by Kim Coates. Oh, um, wicked. Kim Coates is in this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, there you go. And uh, so there, there's three There's three heads. They call them the three kings uh, of Caracas. So El Toro is played by Andy Garcia. Masovich, I don't know the guy's name, but you've seen him as an Eastern European in almost everything. It's not Peter Peter Stormare. No, no, okay. no. Okay. Uh, and then Kim Coates as the CIA-backed president of Venezuela. And so each one of them kidnaps Kevin James's character throughout the film, trying to get him to kill the other ones. And he's just this writer who's out of his depth, who everyone thinks he's this international assassin guy. Uh, this sounds not too bad. It's actually not bad i would say it's a pretty good b movie are you kidding me with this I'm right su- i was surprised are you fucking kidding me it's a very good movie to just have <laughs> on while you're doing something else well, okay while you're assembling a barbecue or exactly you know it's not something you're gonna sit down and be like oh okay yeah but it, it has its moments and it's not awful which is the like that's the highest praise i can give it uh well, it so, certainly looks awful it's it's not that bad Kevin James is dog shit. <laughs> this is probably one of the best roles I've seen him in. Oh, man. And every, it's fucking brutal, uh, man. Every, everyone in the film kind of seems to at least enjoy what they're doing. So Andy Garcia as El Toro is pretty great. Uh, Kim Coates as the neurotic president. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of both those guys he's, big time. He's pretty great, too. Uh Yeah, so if if you don't know what to watch, like you're not if you want something on TV while you're playing cards with friends or having a couple drinks or assembling Ikea furniture, maybe Lego. Maybe you just got a bunch of Lego, Oh nice. uh, which I actually did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to the Lego store and got some Lego. Oh, man. Oh, man, it's great. I missed that. Was it pretty tight on the cash there? Uh, no, 35 bucks gave us like a mini, a medium starter uh, pack because we didn't get any of the franchised shit. And then for 20 bucks, you can get like a yogurt container, a, a tall yogurt container size of just whatever you fill it with there. So we're just going to keep filling that bucket up 
with stuff you need with pieces we want okay. yeah and can can you go on to like i'm guessing the lego website and then do a virtual build of of you, something and then sort of get a parts list and then go to the lego store I don't know. I think you can do that. Maybe. I want to check that out now. Uh, so Lego re- is reviewed much higher than in True Memoirs of an International Assassin. <laughs> but True Memoirs of an International Assassin is not bad to have on while you're building Lego. That's that's my review of that. It is definitely not the worst. It's a good Lego movie. It's a good Lego movie. Not as good as the Lego well, movie. Well, see, the but... problem is the Lego movie is so good, you don't want to be building Lego while you're watching it <laughs> because you're just entertained by the movie. There should be some sort of game or drinking game where you have to build. The next Lego movie should have little things popping up in the corner and you have to, you, you build, it's a build along. That'd be great. And I would that, love that so much. Right? And at yeah. the end, you have, you've built the whole movie along with. Oh, yeah. Dude. We're onto something here. Dude. Hopefully, hopefully someone's recording this. They better. Hopefully someone pressed the record Phil, button. Phil Lord, Chris Miller, do you want to? Yeah. Um, so what else did I watch is the question, right? Yep. Uh, I watched Pete's Dragon, man. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Came, that came out, what, August? Yeah. July? Or July or August. July, it, August. It, it came out this year, and then I realized that this is sort of part of Disney's remake initiative. Right, we got Beauty and the Beast coming in March. We did Jungle Book this year. This one is sort of, I didn't think of it when I, you know, when I see them doing all these big remakes. Nobody expects Pete's Dragon. Um, Because it, the, the first one got really bad reviews. Like the original? Yeah, the 1977 film. Didn't review well. People don't particularly like it, I don't think. I, I remember watching it on Sunday night when it was on the... Disney feature that they showed every now and it's then. It's a stupid, yeah, Sunday Night Disney, the world of Disney. Yeah. Right? The, the thing about it is that the film is two hours and 20 minutes long. Wow. The original. So luckily the, the remake, Pete's Dragon, is about a cool hour 45. There you go. That's what that should be. Uh, this thing is pitch perfect, man. The, the prologue to this thing, uh, it doesn't help that it's shot in New Zealand. Oh yeah, you know that—that not, not a very picturesque country. That right? you just sort of turn the camera on. But who would want to shoot a film there? You just win an Oscar for cinematography just by <laughs> just by pressing the record button on any direction you point your camera. Uh, but the cinematography is like stunning. It's gorgeous. Um, the inciting incident is really tragic with this little boy getting uh, losing his parents and then. Wand, like basically being forced immediately after the tragedy to flee into the forest where he meets does a hunter kill his parents said dragon no it's not the bambi effect <laughs> there is a car accident uh-huh. uh, but it, it's handled in really such a delicate way it's not really that terrifying it's, it's very gently done and very beautiful uh and then it's really sort of heartbreaking when he just he leaves this overturned car with his parents in it and he just wanders into the forest there's mm. some wolves maybe chasing him maybe but you know mm-hmm. Elliot, Elliot the dragon does save the day um, and and then you sort of get this story of a feral boy raised by a giant a dragon. green dragon which is really fucking weird <laughs> it's set in 1977 which I think is a great call oh okay so it's it it feels really retro and uh yeah that is a really good call as opposed to awesome setting it today it feels really indie like it feels very handcrafted for a 
for a Disney big block, like, gets a big budget movie. Uh, again, I can't stress how fucking beautiful this movie looks, like, just visually. The guy who did this made, his name's David Lowry. He made Ain't Them Body Saints. I don't know if. No, I'm not familiar. You've seen the Casey Affleck, ironically, in that one. Um, but it looks a lot like a Malick movie. Mm. Um, the shots of like just beautiful green forests with the sun streaming through, uh, and of course you got evil loggers. You gotta have evil. Log- oh yeah, man! It's you the seventies. You gotta have an evil logging company coming in here. Elliot the dragon is sort of kept intentionally cartoonish looking. I think uh, that's probably a good choice. They didn't go for like a fully realized, like realistic looking face. Like he looks kind of like a cartoon. Like take. Shrek and then make him live action furry and live action but don't don't really change much like keep the eyes big and keep the the sort of face really cartoonish and stuff maybe a bit like Warcraft okay a tiny bit do you know what I mean yeah, like where yeah. it's exaggerated proportions it, they're they're going for a cartoonish look but in real life which hmm. is sort of a weird line to tread they do it really well cuz uh, the dragon ends up having sort of like a puppy dog sort of char- like personality and characteristics, which obviously makes it much easier to fall in love yeah. with him uh, as this like cute little green dragon man who can turn invisible whenever he wants. That's a pretty sweet move. Pretty convenient. Carl Urban is your... Dread? Is Dread's he, in this he, movie? Dread's in this movie as your, you know, your typical evil logger yeah he couldn't be actual dread because i don't think elliot would stand a chance <laughs> yeah right <laughs> just fucking hot shot uh but pete is straight feral dude like he's just leaping across tree to tree can't he fly like a monkey elliot's the dragon he can oh, fly right right up. pete sorry pete owns well i don't know if he owns him but it's pete is said guardian of elliot the dragon um, oh, Pete is the guardian of the dragon, not the other way around. Ah, uh, yeah. There's, it's very like natural. The dialogue's really, really good. Super tight. Um, all, all of the delivery feels like. I don't even think there was one cringeworthy moment in the whole film. How's uh, Mr. Robert to the Redford in this? For the win, he, nice. he has like an opening narration on this thing, kicking it at like kicking ass right out of the gate. I think he's retiring soon. Yeah, well, he's he's old now. Yeah, and so this is, like, pretty nice to see as one of his final films. Um, he's really good in it. He helps to sort of sell, because he's one of these non-believers. He's one of the first people in Millhaven to believe in the Millhaven dragon, the legends of this dragon that's supposedly living in the woods around them. Um, and it's it's perfectly done in the way that you don't have these ignorant characters who are sort of denying the existence of it stubbornly ignorant and frustratingly, you know, dim witted everyone. Mm. Like it, it feels like the non-believers transition to, you know, the truth in discovering this dragon is real. It, it feels sort of really earned what's well earned. Mm. Um, so the, the characters are, actual people it's really good <laughs> they're, they're fully realized it's, it's really really good like the mythology of this dragon is really it's really painted um with a lot of color so that you know it's believable when these people start making this leap to say what hmm. there's a real dragon i mean you you kind of believe that these characters believe it 
it's super nice. good, man. Um, and then there's, of course, the King Kong fallacy here where, you know, how do you transport a giant beast? Remember in yeah. King Kong, you'd have no idea how they bring Kong back from Skull Island. You never see him on the boat. I want, there must be a film somewhere where you see that, but not in like... I don't they, think they showed it. The original, I don't think, showed it. And then the Peter Jackson no. remake definitely didn't show it. They just have... <laughs> he's just... He's back. There's a scene where he's... The, the, the giant dragon, Elliot, is on the back of a flatbread truck, seemingly. Is he flatbread? Flatbread, yeah. Mm. It's like they take all the flatbread off this truck <laughs> and then put a dragon on. Um, yeah, there's no explicable reason how they actually got this guy because he's deep in the in the forest. Yeah. Uh, and then the epilogue to this thing, just like the prologue, is pitch perfect once again i don't want to ruin it um but it's it's sort of like a perfect arc to everyone's story you don't feel like anyone is sort of left out Mm. um like the resolution is really satisfying and earned perfectly i fucking love this movie man wow i wasn't sure about it but i'm gonna i'm gonna see it now like i'm not i'm not going nine on this thing but it's for sure an eight and a half wow kicks the shit out of a bfg i'll tell you that huh um it, it just for me alone just watching the gorgeous cinematography and it, it's such a carefully handcrafted mate like movie it, it feels like it's made with a lot of love so pete's dragon everybody do it i think a lot of people probably slept on this one yeah it sort of flew under the Definitely. radar it, did, it didn't have a whole lot of marketing. Mm-mm. And I don't know if there's a lot of uh, demand for that. Again, because the original film was not really well-reviewed and it didn't make a heck of a lot of money. I think it did okay, but... It didn't actually have a huge budget, $65 million. No. It's, I, I, I'm a huge fan of this movie, man. Huh. Uh, definitely do it. I also got a couple other things. Um, I mean, I rewatched Tron Legacy... It's a fucking nightmare. It's a disaster. It's a nice looking movie though. Um, it's it's really awesome once you get the past the, like the, the first forty minutes really tight and it sort of we just get dumped right into the movie really quickly. You got uh, Garrett Headland or whatever the hell yep. this dumb face guy's looking. Uh, he gets sucked into Tron World and it's awesome right off the bat. You got light cycles. You got cool uh, disc battles. Yeah, man. And then the movie hits a brick wall. When Jeff Bridges' old school shows up and they just hang out in like his living room for an hour <laughs> and they do all these reshoots and, and it's, it's, it reminds me a lot of, um, the Fantastic Four remake where it just hits that turning point. And you're like, Oh, Hey, here, here's where like a new director is almost on set. And, and these are clearly sh- like reshoots of months later that are just sort of packing in dumb story Tron Legacy I wish you could just they focused a little too much on the uh, life becoming these weird um, I forget what they call them like polys or something or yeah and the whole train ISOs these ISOs these ISOs like it is an interesting idea you create this computer program and then life bursts into being inside of like the program like you know we're are we gods are we creating life you know well i, I like the idea but in this film it's, it's terribly no. explored and then of course olivia wilde comes into the real world cr- fucking drives over the lionsgate bridge and her dirt bike sees the sun for the first time 
what like <laughs> how did they not notice this giant train go into the portal and uh, i don't uh that movie is the worst for like blue beam light shining in the sky um i think it really sort of pushed that over the top nobody's allowed to do giant light beam firing into the sky movies anymore <laughs> at the end well except for the neutron movie that they're making I don't think they're doing it, are they? Aren't they? I thought they were. I think Disney knows that's a bad, bad call. I also watched Twister. Oh, my God. I did a rewatch of Jan de Bont's Twister, uh, starring Helen Hunt and BPX himself. So tornadoes were a real thing in my area of the country when I grew up. So when you saw Twister, what did you think of that I shit? I was terrified. <laughs> It was a big deal, right? Like, yeah. This movie was one of the biggest f- f- sort of blockbuster movies of the of the 90s. Would you agree? I would agree. I remember really enjoying it, but then also being terrified of twisters. Yeah. I remember my parents uh, went around telling, telling everyone I wanted to be a storm chaser after I, uh, after I saw Twister, which I, I don't know if I ever really did. I just <laughs> thought it was a cool job, maybe. Um, but this movie still holds up in a lot of respects. Uh, I, I put it on and, and figured I would turn it off very quickly. And uh, we ended up watching the whole thing enjoyably. Oh, man. It's a very guilty pleasure. Okay, no. It's, guilty. it's got guilty. a pretty it's good... Not, it's a pleasure. You don't have to be guilty no. of liking Twister. It, it, it has some big names on it. Michael Crichton wrote this thing. You got... Uh, uh, what, Bill... Well, you got BPX... That's what it is. Bill, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton kicking ass. And then you even have Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dusty in this very, very likable supporting role. Really funny. I mean, I don't know if it feels like Philip Seymour Hoffman was maybe going in like a Chris Farley direction with this this role and maybe his career at one point. I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say he's, Chris Farley was very... Farley? Farley was very slapstick. Maybe a this, Jack Black? Uh... Yeah, it was, it was a little closer to that. <laughs> It's a good character. Uh, yeah, Twister is a lot of fun. It still works. It's um, it it's almost feels like a real blueprint for for a summer blockbuster. Kind it's an of. exciting movie. Like it it, it 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 moves really quickly. It it pulls you along. You got Carrie Alway's as this evil storm chaser, <laughs> and he's got it's so ridiculous, right? They have this thing called um uh, what is Zoo? it? No, it's it's a, it's a giant vat of these little sensors. Yeah, but they name it after right? a god of something. Well, it's, no, it's Dorothy. Dorothy. All oh, right. And theirs is called Toto. And they basically the the good guys' sensors are spherical, and the bad guys' sensors are cube shaped. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah. Uh, oh. And then at the end, they end up like cutting up these coke cans and making these little spinners, these little helicopters to go on all of these little sensors. It's an interesting movie in that. The, the climax of the film involves getting a bunch of sensors to be released into a funnel cloud. And then so when they, they can map it properly. Yeah, so they can get all the data and prevent further destruction and save lives. You know, I mean, it's... To, yeah, make a better early warning system yeah, for yeah, it's, uh, it's tornadoes. Kind of, and, and the way they kind of funnel you into the story with Bill Paxton coming in with his current girlfriend and they're trying to get engaged... But Bill Paxton has a current marriage with Helen Hunt. She's trying to sign divorce papers, um, and and while she's trying, while she's about to sign them, they get a call of like a tornado coming in. So then Bill Paxton, he's he's an ex storm chaser. He was the best, you know. 
they called they, back they, in. They called them the extreme. <laughs> 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 like it, it, the movie really does pull you in in a way that I don't even know if summer blockbusters do these days. Like it feels really, it's classy. Twister. Yeah, I would say that. It's a classy popcorn movie, right? It looks right? good because it's shot on film. And it's got ILM <laughs> kicking ass With like they did in the 90s. All effects are really good. Man. Um, yeah, I don't know. Give it another shot. It's super corny. It's super cheesy. It's it's as 90s as you can get, right? It's a 20-year-old film, so. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I have a soft spot. Have you seen Into the Storm, the new tornado movie? Should I give this a whirl? It's a found footage tornado uh, film, right? No, no, I don't think it's found footage. Uh, it might be doc- documentary style, I guess. Yeah. Is no, it- no, it's not. Into the Storm is not that. It's uh, there is there is a tornado movie I know that is all sort of done from you know documentary cameras, and it's supposed to be yeah, no, that, think- like a Blair Witch kind of thing. If you got caught in a tornado, that's uh, a that's a different one. This uh, <laughs> you can you can give this one a miss. It's it's just watch watch Twister. Well, that's it's the, so that, much better than Into the Storm. That's the gold standard for these kinds of movies, well, isn't it? Because there are storm chasers and stuff in Into the Storm as well. So if you're gonna watch a movie about tornadoes, just do the good just one. Just do the good one. Okay. Um, do you have anything else? Uh, no. That was. It's pretty much it. I mean. I saw bits and pieces of the Gilmore Girl a year in the yeah, life we, we, while my we, girlfriend was watching. We went um, into that. But okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. I uh, There's not much news. Uh, I, I did download the Foundation 1.1 update on No Man's Sky today. Ooh. Which what did that do? I will show you on the break. There's a video breaking down all of the things in it. This is fucking unbelievable. Okay. I don't. I don't know if this saves the game, but holy shit... You can now land on freighters and sort of purchase them and upload giant amounts of resources to these freighters and start shipping them across galaxies. You can take part in these space battles, finally, between factions on these freighters. You can build your own base now. This base building has been added to the game, so you can get this little hub thing that you discover and then you just add on all these essentially these little gerbil uh <laughs> modules nice nice um it looks pretty badass I'm, i haven't touched much of it maybe an hour or so uh there's the new hardcore mode that has like super intense you know rule sets and then a creative mode that is open with no you know no restrictions no restrictions no you know health maximum you know mining resources. Laser doesn't overheat Everything like that. <laughs> All right. Your favorite shit. So you might actually like this game a lot more if you go into creative mode. It's a lot more like Minecraft, I think, where you just go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just build Lego. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we'll see. I want to check it out. <laughs> um, I still have the game, so I might as well check it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Should we get into our review of Manchester by the Sea? Uh, let's pop on into it. All right.
Things are a little bit up in the air. No, I, I can take care of it as far as the general maintenance is concerned, but that motor is going to go at some point. I'm taking care Th of it. There's no allotment for a new motor. Unless, George, you know someone who wants to buy it. Wait a second, I'm not selling it. We're going to be in Boston anyway. What? Since when are we supposed to be in Boston? Just take it easy. Well, whatever you decide, it's going to bleed you dry just sitting here. We don't, we don't know exactly what we're doing. Well, you know, he, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, he doesn't we want to already, be my guardian. For Christ's sake, got he's got to work. We're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. No, yeah. I, I, we're trying to work out the logistics. We're jammed in so pretty good, but Jesus we, Christ, we, we, we've always got a sofa for him George, anytime he wants. George, George. You know that, right? That's all right. Yeah, he, I know. I know. He's that. welcome anytime. I understand. I, I know. Thank you. So that was a clip from Manchester by the Sea. An uncle is forced to take care of his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. Damn. Chitty. Hmm. Manchester by the Sea is directed by Kenneth Lonergan, and it stars Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, Kyle Chandler as Joe Chandler. What? I know that was weird. <laughs> Lucas Hedges, Gretchen Maul, Kara Hayward, uh, Tate Donovan, and that's about it, I think. Uh, so yeah, as I said off the top of the show, this was a big movie coming out of Sundance. A lot of hype on Casey Affleck's performance here. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. <clears throat> Same as Moana. So it looks like a, uh, you know, a vertical slice. Maybe we should do a bottom, like a, you know, a bottom dweller. We can we can check out some of the negative reviews on that. Uh, but this thing has really high ratings across the board. Um, really, the question is, did it hold up? Or did it, did it live up to all this hype? And, uh... Is Casey Affleck like really a shoe in for best actor the way that everyone says he is? I would say he's a shoe in for nomination. Yeah, that's easy, right? Yeah. Uh it's super hard to find any negative reviews for this thing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just looking on Metacritic and so far I think <laughs> the lo holy, that's a lot of one hundreds. Yeah. The lowest is sixty. Uh, by Lonra Bakari of The Guardian. Manchester by the Sea is a study of family dysfunction and the worst loss imaginable, uh, but one held back by the fact that it's all filtered through Affleck's withdrawn lead. So Lonra uh, was not taken by Casey Affleck's performance, <clears throat> apparently. I kind of like that perspective um, because... Casey Affleck's character in this movie, Lee Chandler, for reasons that we might get into in spoilers, I guess. Um, <clears throat> he's yeah, it's a, definitely a spoiler. He's a very reserved guy who does not share his feelings too often. And the movie, as 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 said in the in the review, there is filtered through his perspective. So to me, in my in my viewing, um, that's that that muted my emotional reaction to a lot of the stuff going on because Casey Affleck was sort of, you know, shutting his emotions away. And so I I sort of felt the same way in a weird, in a weird I, well, way. Well, I could see that. Like, he, he did a very good job of being withdrawn and disinterested in the world at large, <clears throat> struggling to yeah. actually have any emotions at all. You, you called this movie really understated. Yeah. Uh, his performance was very subtle and understated, I thought, which I think is why a lot of people are raving about it because you, you can see 
the glimmer of emotion in a lot of the scenes. Like some of it comes through right at the start when he finds out his brother died. He's very matter of fact on the phone. You can see just a little eyebrow twitch here and there. Uh, then when he gets to the hospital, you, you see a little bit more of that. Uh, and certain situations throughout the film, uh, that that comes up again. But he's like fighting to not feel anything. Um, so I thought he did a very good job of showing that sometimes the emotion does come up, but he just does not, for him, for his character, he can't live with emotion um, based on stuff that happened in the film that we find out through backstory, how we yep. got to this. He he can't allow himself to feel anything, even though sometimes it just happens, he, he immediately shuts it down. And if it ever gets to be too much, he lashes out at people. Like, he is a scrapper. Any perceived slight or insult he will jump on it because Mm -hmm. he just he needs an outlet he can't keep it all bottled up but he also wants it's usually fighting but he 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 feels he deserves to get beaten up as well well it's it's the the vicious cycle of an alcoholic i think right or of, of a violent alcoholic yeah but he's not an alcoholic i believe the idea is not to get too much into spoilers um but he, he, he there's a there's a line when he says yeah. I, I can't I can't kick it, which okay yeah fair enough I I think that is what we're because we didn't see a lot of drinking like he would go to a bar I, maybe he's a functional alcoholic actually because well, he no. would go to the bar after work and we, when we get into spoilers I think we can find reasons for why there's a lot of guilt around being yeah. a drunk yeah fair enough right so um. But yeah, so you, you, you enjoyed this movie, I guess? Is um, that- well, I liked how matter-of-fact it all, it treated all of the subject matter. Uh, right from the start with the death of the brother, they frame it very well in a way, then with flashbacks showing... Actually, I really liked that format of the film, how we would move forward, and then every after every scene, almost, it would jump back to reveal more information. Those flashbacks seemed very randomized to me. They didn't, they didn't always connect in the way that, well, they were, they functioned as his thoughts. Like what he, cause he, he was, he living in himself and retreating from the world for the most part. So when he went to the hospital, just, and, and finding out what happened, how his brother had, con- like he knew he had congenital heart disease. Uh, <clears throat> and so it just flashes back to when they found out about it. So he's like, that's naturally, he's just going to think about stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So anytime he gets into a situation in the film where maybe he's overwhelmed a little or he's just thinking, it sort of flashes back to where his mind would be going. Yeah, the the editing in the sequence where he finds out about what is in Joe's will and what his new responsibility is to his nephew, um, something he wasn't told about Mm -hmm. at all, which is crazy. Yeah. that whole scene is edited in such a way that's incredible what is what it's showing you in that whole sequence and what motivates him to finally you know he he's 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 able to turn down the offer but he doesn't obviously uh but yeah that that whole scene as you said with with the flashbacks i guess maybe they do come I I saw them really functioning as where his his thought process like where his mind was going mm-hmm. so uh they could seem a little random in that respect, but the trigger of the scene, it sort of makes sense that his mind would go there. 
as he moves through the course of the, yeah. the events in this film. I, I guess I'm spoiled with how good they're they're used in Arrival. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, Arrival is a really, really good movie. Yeah. Let's plug that again. Uh, <laughs> I can't... That's really unfair of me to say, like, oh, these, these flashback sequences were used much better in a movie reviewed two weeks ago. But anyway... See, my, my problem... I don't have a lot of problems with this film. I, I think most of it's done very well. It's just such award bait is my biggest issue. Like, uh, there are a lot of great films out there, and I hope they get a nod come award season. But this always seems to be what panels and award uh, judges and all the different uh, awards that are out there to give gravitate towards these dramatic stories that obviously deal with real-life events. Like, this is not far-fetched in any way, shape, or form. This could happen to anybody. Why Why do they do this? I was very happy last year that Mad Max was received so well because it was a fantastic, outstanding film in its own right and finally was was acknowledged alongside other films of, say, this caliber. Mm-hmm. But why Why is it this? Like, what What about the drama, dramatic film makes people think that it's better than, say, a really good comedy? I don't... I don't I say really good comedy. I don't mean like spy or anything like that. You mean like Deadpool? Yeah. Let's say Deadpool this year. <laughs> um, yeah. Like Rob's going to kill us here. He loves this movie. Uh, I wish we could get him on. It was, I think he was busy this weekend. Well, I, yeah. I like he, the movie too. He He's calling it one of his top five of the year. Um, which I can, I can, again, I can see why you can, you can approach it that way. Um, but, Oscar bait awards bait does to me make a bit of sense like the the actors here are really trying super hard you know they're I called it emotional powerlifting in my tweet mm-hmm. I think that's uh, a fair assessment you know like these actors are really turning it up to 110% here you know they're turning the knob up to 11 the emotions are really busting out um so in that respect it's really great as 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 an acting showcase i guess oh it's very good for the, the well everything's good like there are there are some beautifully framed shots in this i think it's edited together fairly well the flashbacks of the boat where we're on those long wide shots of yeah. just the boat sort of just drifting along the water and we don't cut away it's just a nice the, the dialogue all plays out on the back of this boat as we're sort of following it. Um, it's a beautiful looking film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the writing is good too because there's so much humanity uh, in all of the characters, which is why the emotional power lifting with the acting is so good too because they just have some great uh, dialogue or not even dialogue, just some great scene direction uh, to work with. That, that That seems very real because people aren't breaking down and sobbing melodramatically they're in shock because a father or a brother just died but there are things that need to be done so the movie handles that you know there are very pragmatic things it's almost a procedural of what you know what would happen you know to sort of the the premise of the movie is really what if your brother didn't tell you that he put in his will that you'd be taking care of his son if he died. Yeah. 
Like, oh, what, oh, okay. What would you do, right? Um, very interesting what if kind of premise, especially based on who Casey Affleck's character is. Like the question, why would his brother entrust him with his kid? Uh, also, there's the, like it it. It's a very good dramatic film because there's humor in it as well. It's really funny. Like it's a, it's surprisingly funny, but not like they're they're not aiming for jokes. It's just a simple regular reaction that ends up being humorous. Well, it's your guard is en- ends up being down a lot when you yeah. watch dramatic films. You go in with sort of, you know, uh a bit of armor around your heart. You're ready to be beaten up a little bit. Yeah. So I think you're actually more susceptible to humor in a dramatic film. Well, comedy is just the reversal of expectations. So if you're not really expecting it in a dramatic film, yeah. it, it lands that much. Right. So it, it works a lot better here. And I think Patrick, the, the nephew character, is really funny, mm-hmm. is really, really good. Like when he there's a scene where he breaks down in front of the fridge when he's trying to you see some meat hanging yeah, the, in the fridge. The frozen meat comes out. A little bit on the nose, right? He's freaking out. He's thinking about his father in the morgue. I don't. I don't mind that it's on the nose, though, because he hasn't. Ex- he hasn't really dealt with his father's death. It, he's that we've seen. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of accepted. I mean, everyone knew it was going to happen eventually because of his condition, but it still sucks. Uh, we haven't really seen him mourn, other than trying to get with women because he's a teenage. Yeah. teenage guy so yeah that's obviously at the forefront of his mind um they don't shy away from any of that no uh which i like i like that a lot and, but but then there's this trigger just out of nowhere all of a sudden the overwhelming weight of what's happening hits him and he breaks down uh and that scene yeah. was handled very well he, he's brilliant in that scene just freaking out and casey affleck coming down uh, and he handles that pitch perfect as well too. Like, I, what's going on? What's like? How do I help you? What do mm-hmm. I need to do? And one of the themes of the film ends up being a little bit I, I, the 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 procedure of you know holding a, a body in a morgue or in a funeral home until spring has yeah. arrived. Like, does that really? Does that? I guess that has to happen in places yeah, that are unless you're getting cremated he- heavily. Yeah, if if you're planning on burying somebody, then there's a period of time if they die in the winter where they have to be held. You know, because they can't dig up the ground; it's in, too hard. Yeah, in a freezer essentially. Um, so yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. If you're getting cremated, which is more common these days, that's not a problem. However, they're Catholic. Yep. And you got to go into the ground. So that ends up being, to me, <clears throat> an interesting theme of the movie uh, of the mourning process and the grieving process being drawn out even longer than it normally might. Yeah, because they haven't laid him to rest. So they're in this state of limbo. They can't even move. None of them can move on with their lives, you know, until the funeral has taken place, which in most movies, all of that would happen in one span of a week or two. But in this case, it happens over, over like, the course a, of the whole movie, really. A, the whole se- an entire season, right? If they have to wait until spring to to you know get resolution to this entire, I guess it's not a pickle that they're in, but no, just one of life's events, right? Like Casey Affleck wants to move back to Boston. He hates it in fucking Manchester. He has a very good reason for not wanting to be in Manchester. <laughs> um, uh, the the Boston accent here wasn't as it. In your face as I thought it would be. 
I don't know if you. No, no, agree. it was it was good. It wasn't uh, wasn't crazy. Normally, some movies they really go nuts on. We're in New England and everything's you know it's Boston. Well, and I think that this movie paid attention to a lot of detail and probably got an actual you know language or coach. Well, yeah, it's coach. A, I think it's produced produced by Matt Damon and Casey Affleck, like they're boys yeah. from back in the day. They're Massachusetts kids, yeah. right? <clears throat> um, but I thought the introduction to Lee's character was really brilliant. Where we, over the, we sort of get the span of his his daily his, his, his daily routine, I guess, going to work, literally having a shitty day where he's you know plunging the toilet, plunging this lady's toilet, and she, I'm really sorry. And then he hears her on the phone just outside. It's like I think I'm in love with my janitor. Like he's super cute. So right, right away, there was some great humor in this film. Yeah, it it was really funny. Um, and putting him through that literally shitty day, um, helps us do. It's a really easy way to create sympathy for his character, even if he might not be a likable person. You, no one wants to do something like that. Like he being a janitor is a garbage job, and his looks particularly shitty. Uh living kind of a crappy existence, you in know, like a one room apartment. Yeah. Just in the basement of some place. Um, <clears throat> so even though he's not a likable person and is a drunk, you know, beating up gay guys in bars, I guess. Uh, I, were they, I don't, I didn't get that. I thought he was just, they were a couple of businessmen at the bar that he just kept sort of making eye contact with and then yeah. cho- chose them to be his target for the night. Yeah, just picking them for no reason and yeah. throwing a huge haymaker, which he tends to do when he's had a couple. Yep. Um, but yeah, like, again, even though he's not a likable guy, there's sympathy there because his job and life is crappy and we want to see some change in it. Um, clearly struggling with depression and yeah, what I thought was alcoholism. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't necessarily read it that way when I was watching it, but... Hearing you talk about it, uh, that makes right? sense. Uh, but but there's a really great transition in his character. He he feels a little more sort of carefree and upbeat until he's let's go to the notary or whatever. We got to read the will, and as soon as we reach this sequence, the whole movie changes. Yeah, and his his acting in that scene might be my favorite part of the movie because he he's almost becoming a, a different person. He's being drawn back to where he doesn't want to be. As he's sitting in a chair, he's just, the way he's flipping those pages over and just in pure disbelief. that Physically, he doesn't want to be there. Emotionally, he doesn't want to be there for many, like, be there being, like, emotionally, he doesn't want to physically be there. Also, he doesn't want his emotions to be in that place. Response, like, nothing about that that scene is what he wants. (laughs) And and that scene seems to take a long time because we have a, a many layers of flashbacks as yeah. he's sitting there contemplating what to do. I guess the intention is maybe he was in there for a while. You have uh, Patrick sitting out in the waiting room, just on yeah, just clearly on bored, offered a coke. Maybe it took a while. So those that time is taken up with these deep flashbacks into his tragic backstory, Lee's backstory with Michelle Williams. Um, we when, can get into it in and, spoilers. And that's set up very well because in the first, like when he gets to the hospital, right off the start, like the second location of the film, um, he refers to Michelle Williams' character as his wife mm-hmm. and then 
they look at him and he sort of corrects himself, ex-wife. You're like, okay, so they were together. And prior to the notary scene, we've seen a flashback of him with Michelle Williams and their kids. Like, okay, well, something drove them apart. What what, what was it? What is it? Yeah. Uh, so they set that up really nicely. Um, yeah, and, and then having that backstory edited with, you know, him accepting or understanding his new role, uh, realizing that he must be the better man or whatever and take this responsibility. Um, well, and it adds weight to... Uh, maybe I'll, I'll save that for spoilers. Let's get let's get into it. Um, put into spoilers. Let's do it. Okay, because we've been dancing around it for a well, while. It's it's a rough one, right? It it uh, it adds weight to Michelle Williams' first conversation with him on the phone, asking to come to the the, the service, the funeral, uh, and saying that she's she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, like no, if you're divorced and she's with someone new and she's pregnant, that in itself would kind of be shitty. Yeah. But based on what happened between them, it's even worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, spoilers. All right. For Manchester United. Yeah. Man- so Manchester United. Manchester United. By the sea. Rosebud. The flashback where we go to the party in his basement and his wife kicks him and his friends out. They've been drinking, whatever. And then he leaves after a nice little charming exchange with his wife, who was sort of pissed at them, but at mm-hmm. the same time, they've got a nice little relationship going on. Goes to get some beer, walks... Like, it's very drawn out. He comes down from his house, slowly walks drunkenly down the road, headed to the convenience store to get snacks and beer. And this is all while he's sitting in the notary... Yeah. He, he's flashing back to this while he's reading his brother's like, will. This scene was building and building, but at the at the time I was watching it, I didn't really know because it was everything else in this movie is pretty low key as well. So I'm like, okay, well I'm just watching him walk along, you know, getting some beer, headed back. His house is a raging inferno. Mm. And his wife is being pulled away by firemen and paramedics screaming that their kids are inside. And your first thought is how long was he yeah. out grabbing grabbing beer how long did this trip take yeah uh that was really surprising to me i did not see that coming yeah and i don't know if the movie ever really pays any of that off you know it it doesn't certainly build to that It, it it is completely out of nowhere and it doesn't seem to be paid off really in the rest of the movie, which we can get to. Well, I mean, that in its that event itself does seem a little bit out of left field, but at the same time, it's been a, we we know that his marriage fell apart. Mm-hmm. This is simply why it fell apart. Yeah. Uh, so that so that fits fine. And it it it, it has a much more impact when we see the interview or sort of not interrogation process, but just the statement he's Casey giving. Affleck is giving his statement of events to the police officers, investigators, the fire, I guess they're basically fire investigators, right? Yeah. They might not even be police. Oh, well, it looks like there's probably a police officer and um, maybe a fireman. Some sort of forensics guy. They're basically just wanting to make sure that this was not arson, I would assume. Yeah, and and we then understand that Casey Affleck was not ready to let his buzz, you know, drop. He's 
still hammered, wanted to continue drinking, realized there was no beer left in the house. And because he's a good dude, he put a log on the fire because it was a little cold. Well, and he didn't want to he didn't want to drive his car. Yeah, yeah. So this is why he walked. But yeah, he put a log on the fire and then he realized I have no beer. Fuck. So he left the 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 barrier, I guess, or you know, sort of those the screen. The screens off of the log rolls into the room, whole house goes up in flames. Well, and what makes that that scene even more heartbreaking when he's giving a statement is he got about half like about halfway he said had the thought. Yeah. Did I forget forget to put the screen up? No, it's probably fine. That's that is a heartbreaking thought and that feels really like something you could see you know, yourself living with the guilt of that for the rest of your life. Oh my God, I almost could have prevented this. Those are those are the most remorseful moments in someone's life. You well, know, the, the choices that you almost made or, you know, barely, you know, avoided. Well, and what I liked uh, about this whole thing is he was having a great time in the, all of the flashbacks leading up to this point, he was a different person. Like on the boat when uh, his nephew was young, he was having a great time joking around with his brother flashback with his kids he 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 seemed like a great you know He's fun dude pl- playing a twin of the character that we're watching and that moment, in the mo- in the in the in the present and that moment we see him just destroyed uh and h- him giving his account realizing that he is responsible mm-hmm. for the death of his children walking out and tr- grabbing before that moment though when when he says i'm free to go you know you're free to go and Casey Affleck is just in pure disbelief, right? Lee can't believe... He yeah. can't believe that there's... He's, there's not, no punishment for killing his kids. I don't get punished for this? I'm not going to jail? Yeah. And they said, well, there's no punishment for leaving the screen off of your... Yeah, it's like it was a it was a horrible this mistake. This is a terrible accident that occurred. A horrible mistake, but it's and, and not something that is a crime. That, to me, felt really awful just because he wa- he almost wanted to be punished. You know, well, he absolutely wants wanted to be punished. You know, because it's such a horrible thing that 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 he did, and and the idea that now, essentially, the cops are saying you're free to go, right? Translates to you're free to live with the guilt of this event for the rest of your life. Now, mm-hmm. you know, like when you leave this room, uh, all that is left for you for the rest of your life is the guilt of this moment. Which is why when he does walk out of the room, police officer, police officer walks by. First thing he does, grabs the gun. I, that's and they horrible. They did that very well because he just grabbed it, pointed, and pulled the trigger. Prisoners style. Remember in the uh, yeah interrogation room in prisoners. But safety's on. Doesn't work this Doesn't time. Doesn't work, and so that gives that gives everybody enough time to react. So that was such a real and visceral scene. Um, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, I think that's the most notable aspect of Casey Affleck's performance is the differences between sober Lee and and drunk Lee, you know, the present day well, and Lee I, who's who's sort of who's deadening. His, he's getting his life together, you know, his brother bought him new furniture and he's trying to, you know, make a make a life for himself. Well, and he I don't know, like he didn't even want the furniture. He just <laughs> yeah. sort of Yeah. He's just going through the motions. Like he's just living with the guilt, going through the motions. Which leads to the random crossing of Michelle Williams and her friend with him in the road, which I thought was the most powerful scene in the entire film. So, okay, I really want to talk about this scene. Um, it feels 
like this is supposed to be the emotional core, the emotional peak of the film in terms of say the performances. Like this is the crescendo that the film is building to in a lot of ways. Yeah. It didn't work for me at all. Oh, no, that's too bad. I got I, I got I got a little teary. I I I really feel like I'm a monster. I really feel <laughs> like I'm inhuman. I feel like I have no soul. The entire theater, which was mostly old people, I will point out. Um, Does anybody have a soul? What is the soul? I know, right? Redheads don't. Oh, come on, man. Ginger kids. Take it back. <laughs> Tim is okay with it. Um, so th- this movie, this scene didn't work for like, for me in this movie because it doesn't serve any real purpose, I don't feel. So we have Michelle Williams showing up. She has her newborn baby. It's their first sort of meeting outside of the funeral um, sort of yeah. scenario. So they're kind of meeting in public. And it basically summed up to me, it ended up just being two people sputtering and spitting and and slobbering at each other. Wow, like yeah. I, I don't even know if I got any words out of the last, literally the last 20 seconds of that interchange that exchange I, I didn't I didn't make any words out it was it was just blubbering it's it's again it's it's emotional powerlifting this these are amazing actors at the you know at the top of their game putting in 110 percent trying really hard but is that all is that enough for you if if you're invested in the story that's fine I I found i bounced off of the whole story altogether for some reason um maybe because casey affleck is so distant it's possible so when this scene came i i just it it ended up just being two people blubbering at each other without any resolution i I didn't feel like anything was uh, you know any the characters like i didn't feel like any progression was made after that scene uh, and I didn't feel like I learned anything about them at all after that exchange. Yeah, well, it is. It's it's interesting that you say that because there was supposed to be prog- progression, and I saw like this is the most emotional we we see Casey Affleck in the entire film post death of his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought you're right. The acting was am- amazing. Uh, dealing talk, talking out loud about those things that are so emotional is next to impossible. So without breaking down. So seeing them like Michelle Williams start and stop, like trying to stop the tears and actually say what she means to say with her voice shaking. Um, it's clearly not the time or place to have this conversation. They're out on the street. She's just walking her, her, her baby. Yeah. Like this isn't, they're overwhelmed by how emotional the conversation got well and no matter where they were this is how emotional they would get but she like she has been meaning to talk to him and this is the chance she she needs to tell him that she's sorry for how terrible she was to him because she knows he didn't kill their children on purpose uh so she's already moved on but she can't fully move on until she says that so she's serving herself that way but she's also trying to alleviate and free up casey affleck's heart i guess like just he needs to hear from the one person who who shared that experience with him who very clearly blamed him for years Mm -hmm. he he needs to hear from her that she she didn't she doesn't blame him she was 
heartbroken, blah, 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 blah. Um, and you see him crack. Like he, he's trying to hold it together. He's trying to hold on to the guilt and suppress the emotions because it hurts too much if he lets that happen. But she, she gets through to him. Uh, and even though it's still very, this is where the subtle and under like understated performance comes from. Uh, it's all there and it's huge for his character, even though it's not a very big change on screen for us. Like it, but the fact that he does start to break, like he starts to tear up and he doesn't want her forgiveness because he wants to live with the guilt. Um, cause that's all he can do. Cause that's the only way that he can be punished for this, but it does have an effect on him. The problem here that I have is that would be the climax where he starts to be like, he has been given the go ahead to try and move forward and put his life back together. He does that. The, by, the ground has thawed. His, yes, his, there you go. His heart has his thawed. His heart has thawed. He can bury his children. Yep, exactly. There you go. There's a lot of great metaphors to that. A lot of great metaphors to the engine of the boat being sort of doomed to fail in the way that Joe's heart condition was... Doomed to fail. He, like, he was, his body was doomed to eventually hit heart failure. Yep. Uh, but then it... The movie just sort of ends... Like that takes place probably a good twenty minutes before the the film actually is over, and we just coast, and we do just kind of coast for the rest of it. So the the, the end of the film is a bit of a weak point for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning all that, K, uh, Casey Affleck's character Lee decides to, I assume, decides to just kind of stick with what he's always been doing, even though he's been given the go ahead uh-huh. to to move forward. So that. That almost seems at odds with what the film was trying to do for me with that scene. Yeah. What, what you mean with the stroller yeah, scene? Yeah, with the stroller scene where she, she gives him what he needs to be able to move on, but he he doesn't. He's, he's still going to leave Manchester. He's not going to look after mm-hmm. his nephew. He's just going to go back to doing what he's always been doing. Yeah. But I guess, as you said, he doesn't have to live with the guilt as he once was. Yeah. Um, and and it's not obviously it's not going to be say a Hollywood change where overnight he's like yes I feel so much better it would be a gradual uh, uphill climb for him to get back to that point and I, th- I think that's what the last scene is supposed to be because he's out fishing on the boat mm-hmm. with his nephew and he seems a little happier like he's made his peace with what's going on uh, so he's on the path yeah, yeah he is but do, do we do we get the sense of that. Throughout the movie, do we get the sense that he was a person struggling with with that, with such a horrific event? That's that's the my problem and why I think I bounced off this movie. Right? Is we did he really does not? Obviously, he's shutting his emotions down and he's and he's you know pushing people away and and all of that cliche stuff because of how horrific you know this tragedy was. However, does he strike you as somebody who? went through that like does that come through it doesn't come through for me at all in his character he does not i don't buy him as a person who went through this michelle williams for sure she can't even talk when when she brings it up and 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 i guess the only scene that we really see like casey affleck can barely talk either but he's our protagonist and other than just seeing flashbacks of the events occurring i don't really get the sense that he you know, was was the person who this happened to? That's why well, I said earlier it was like almost like a twin. 
And that's a great way to play the character, right? You 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 balance out these, you know, that was a different life and, you know, he's he's turned to try to change his ways and he's no longer a a wild, you know, sort of alcoholic, you know, guy with no sort of yeah. morals or whatever. Um no, I think he did an all right job because he just shut it off. Like that destroyed him as a person, so he is just kind of sort of a bland withdrawn mm-hmm. guy um <clears throat> and it's what i think uh what can be said so well about his or why his performance is so good is because he is playing a bland withdrawn guy who who doesn't take much interest in what's happening around him but it's not bland and boring to watch although you have a different opinion of that apparently because you didn't really resonate with him well yeah i just i didn't i didn't find that his his emotional reactions to anything were that deep, so neither were mine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I Be- could see that being of a problem. His, because of the way his character is choosing to to behave and to to shut off his emotions, I I felt that I had no need to to engage mine, which sounds crazy. No, that, I don't think that's crazy. I, I think you have, that's you. <laughs> hey, man, that that's how you read it, and that's what you got. That's totally okay I, I i i responded much better to the humorous scenes in the movie particularly between lee and patrick his nephew where uh and those scenes really started to get good for me when when patrick comes in and says you know can sylvia stay the night and yeah. and you know casey affleck is i don't give a fuck yeah i don't, I don't care then, what you do but then he slowly, slowly dawns on him oh wait a minute Th- this Am I supposed to tell you to wear a condom? Is yeah, that was, he, that was a great he, line. Am I supposed to tell you to wear a condom? He slowly, like he slowly realizes that he is the only decision maker who's gonna, you know, unless he says something. You know, Patrick is just gonna do anything he wants. He's the only person in the house now who has any say in what Patrick does. Yeah. He's under eighteen, right? He's still in high school, so it's all it's at the at the very edge of when. A child still needs parenting in a weird way. You know yeah, what I mean? Well, teenage years are a minefield to navigate. For sure. But once you're getting to be 17, 18, then you're off to college anyway. And I think parenting, you, it can't be done as much just because the kids are well, off yeah, already you, in the you world. You can't control them at that point. They're, grown, so they're you, adults. You don't want Le- to. They're, they're legally adults. Yeah. So. so So just be real with them, right? <laughs> like... Which is nice seeing that both Lee and Joe were parents like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, okay, well, you're going to try and sleep with your girlfriend anyway. You might as well do it here. Right. Well, he, like, Lee is initially, he's all nonchalant about it, right? Whatever. Um, but then he's fan- it's fantastic how he sells that slow realization of, wait, you got to be kind of responsible here. Yeah. Slowly the fathering instincts uh, come back a little. Like he fumbles with it. So, it, it I, I really like that scene, and it's it's there's a few more sequences in the movie where Lee becomes complicit in Patrick's sex life or personal life, very very intimately, like having to lie about his, you know, don't tell the other ladies that I'm yeah. cheating on them. I need, and you, stuff. I need you to not. They don't know about each other. I need you to not bring it up. Also, could you say that she's sleeping downstairs when <laughs> her mom it. asks? <laughs> right. So immediately. 
<laughs> Lee has been like in intimately tied connect like very closely into Patrick's personal life um almost on the very first night, right? Yeah. One of the first right things, away. He says, order me some pizza, and then later in the night, like, I'm going to have sex with my 16-year-old girlfriend. And no, no, she's not his girlfriend. Yeah. She's his, the, si- she's his on side, the side chick. Yeah, and he's, I'll try to keep it down. I mean, it gets... Yeah. It's 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 some hardcore stuff. Well, I think some of my favorite stuff uh, with Patrick was when he was over at his actual girlfriend. What's rate rate? Whatever her name is. In the shitty uh, punk band or whatever. shitty punk band. <laughs> up in her room, they're trying to, like make out and take clothes off and stuff, but her mom keeps knocking on the door. So they mm-hmm. have to keep, it's like, a very, uh, very well done scene. So <laughs> and Casey Affleck is rejecting all of the advances by Rachel's mother or whatever yeah. her name is. Um, who clearly, and I love the scene later in the movie where Patrick's, I happen to know for a fact that she does like you. Yeah. Uh, so those scenes I, I felt really worked because you really want Lee to, to be happy in any way that because there's nothing going for him obviously at any point and this lady is such a ball of sunshine she's adorable why the hell not <laughs> like what is wrong with you lee well and, and the beautiful thing about patrick's and, character and he here sabotages is, his <laughs> yeah he, he's only suggesting this so he can have time to sleep with his girlfriend right like <laughs> it's all very self-serving almost everything patrick does in this <laughs> as a teenage How boy is that right is to get laid <laughs> so uh, yeah, it really they, feels like this is a very realistic yes. drama, right? Or it just feels like it's cut from today's society with a, not a lot of, I don't know, cliched. Well, I think this fits in almost with any society. Or not or, sorry, any, like, any any era. Era, I mean, yeah. Um, at like, least from, the say, the 50s onward. like yeah. It it just feels really modern in terms of how it treats all of its characters. Um, I I I I really liked the the metaphors of the ground thawing, and then this is sort of a way to uh, have the characters exist in a, in a state of limbo. Yeah, nice little plot element there. I'm not sure what to make of the whole the 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 motor of the boat is uh is dying and this is some sort of metaphor for joe's heart and they they do they do they end up fixing the boat I, I, they do I, they uh once casey affleck starts realizing he's got to do shit and he's got to participate uh he goes and sees the guns in the case and says you know we could sell these and replace the motor so that's mm-hmm. okay they do it there and, it is. and because the boat is basically the surrogate for Patrick's dad at this point. Joe is gone. His heart did fail. They couldn't do anything about it. The mm-hmm. boat is almost all that he has left of him, other than the house. The motor's failing. He doesn't want to sell it. As you said, it's a metaphor for his father. They fix this heart, and they keep the boat. I, re- uh, I really like that. Yeah. I don't know if that might have been better if if they focused on it a little heavier like the, i i like that imagery and I that, don't think it needed as like it, it got a decent amount in the film it's 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 not clunky and in sort of yeah, hitting you over the head cuz it didn't come up too often but mm-hmm. then every time uh, lee suggested selling the boat and selling the boat patrick was very adamant like this is no this is how he can yeah. save that piece of his yeah. father so yeah it's true I, I i like all of that um i i just wish like I said, I didn't bounce off this movie. I keep saying that that's. It feels like that's what happened to well, me. Well, no, and as I said, that's that's fair. I it's 
Casey Affleck was not relatable. Uh, and I think as the audience, you weren't supposed to relate to yeah. him. You were supposed to just be like, okay, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on? Uh, you're sort of empathetic right off the start because his brother died, but he's not really reacting the way most well-adjusted adults and, would use. Uh, that's underlined in the sequence yeah. when he arrives at the hospital, right? The, 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 his fisherman buddy, you know, the guy with the gray yep. beard, he's much, much more emotionally uh, impacted by Joe's death. Like he can barely, you know, deal with the moment. And then Casey Affleck is just all business about it. Right. So, and he had no problem seeing his brother in the morgue. Uh, yeah. So I don't, we're not meant to relate to him. You're just supposed to feel a bit of empathy, but then wonder why is this guy so detached? Mm -hmm. And then the reveal the out of left field, your kids are dead. That's really supposed to connect you to him. And if it didn't at that point, then you're kind of, the film has lost you, I think. Well, I I guess it would have connected me to him if I saw his life in, in much more shitty condition and I saw him struggling with, the depression and guilt mm. of that moment in a much like imagine he lost like 50 pounds and he was like uh, you know what i mean uh, like a drug addict or something i guess it's implied he, he they, they do mention there's drugs at the party and stuff that's even before the tragedy happens so yeah. but yeah I, I just wish that we saw him struggling with the depression a little more than just having a couple of beers punching some guys at the bar and having you know humorous quips at people during his janitor job you know like it doesn't well that would have been a different film i guess because people deal with tragedy differently right and for him it was just to shut down Mm -hmm. so he is just a zombie for the first for 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 most of the movie uh and slowly he starts to i thought that his performance was good and it wasn't amazing i thought that his his real best work is still in the assassination of jesse james where he plays robert ford by the Coward Robert Ford. By the coward. He plays the coward Robert <laughs> yeah. Ford in that movie. Still his best performance, still his finest work. He plays such a disturbed character in that movie. He can he stumbles over words and he's maybe a bit slow or something. That performance is nuanced and layered and incredible. I didn't really find that that was the case here. I just thought that it was you know really excellent I, I didn't find it flashy and maybe that's the point it doesn't you know it's not supposed to be a flashy performance it's just emotional powerlifting. nothing in this film is meant to be flashy. no one's going eddie redmayne here from from fucking jupiter ascending <laughs> yeah no that's that's melodrama that does not exist it doesn't, it doesn't work in this no uh, um so yeah what are your final thoughts here what are you giving manchester out of 10 men uh I thought it was, as I said, a really well done, understated emotional story. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Whoa! I think it's a like I'm not up there with the hundreds that are on Metacritic, but I recognize it. It's really well done. the The powerlifting for the acting is fantastic. Um, I just wish there was a little bit, a little bit more resolution at the end. But then you don't always get that in life. Like you see him slowly starting to make that journey and developing a relationship with Patrick. Um, so it did a great job. Just not perfect for me. Hmm. But it seems like it was pretty damn close to perfect for you. If it's, it was pretty good, man. Jesus Christ. I mean, my complaint about this being award bait, 
I just I just want to see other nods to other films, wow. but this is great. Yeah, we're we're not on the same spectrum here. I thought we were. I'm giving it a seven out of ten. Ooh, wow! Which is kind of harsh. I have to say, like I was actually disappointed with this movie. The hype did not help at all. You know, I I, I expected to be really emotionally moved by this thing, and I felt very little. So. I don't know if a rewatch will help with me, um, but I appreciate everything that it does in terms of, you know, the setting and the acting and the screenplay is really tight. Yeah. Like the dialogue is spot on. Like, I don't think there's anything out of place or anything in terms of, you know, any of the dialogue scenes or any of the... This is a very well constructed movie Mm -hmm. film. I'm going to say film for this. It's a picture. It's It's a a picture. It's a picture by Kenneth Lonergan. (laughs) I don't know what what, what determines who can... I know Martin Scorsese goes with picture. He says it... You know, his posters will always say a Martin Scorsese picture. Uh, You know, Spike Hmm. Lee joint. It's always a joint by Spike Lee. So, I don't know what, uh, what gives you the cred to call it a picture, but Kenneth Lonergan goes and does it. Uh, it still works. I'm recommending Manchester by the Sea. I'm totally in the minority here, and it's not a bad movie by any means. It's just merely it didn't speak to you, which is it's just merely a good movie. Yeah, um, Manchester by the Sea. We'll All see. Right. We'll, we'll see how this thing does in award season. It is in wide release now. I'm not sure Casey's going to win. I actually think Michelle Williams uh, did a far better job. So I in the win- very little scenes she's. I in. would not be yeah. surprised if she wins for best supporting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's never won, so no. I think she she's done a lot of great work. Unbelievable! Uh, so. Every time she steps in front of the camera, it seems. She oh yeah, Dawson's Creek. Man. Has she ever done any comedies? Uh, she doesn't do. She doesn't do that, right? Don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, Casey Affleck. I don't see him winning either. This thing is not. Uh, I don't. I don't think he knocks it out of the park enough to to get that Oscar. So. Um. Yeah. Who would win, though? I guess we'll we'll, we'll have to we'll find, find out. out. With uh, I think Andrew Garfield, if he's kicking ass in silence, um, that's true. But yeah, let us know if you see Manchester by the Sea, and you agree or disagree with our takes. Please email us verticalviewing at gmail dot com. Yes, I w- I would really like to hear your thoughts. <clears throat> um, also, the fact that you've just let us know you've seen it. <clears throat> I don't know if the this theater is, was not very full when I went. It's not going to be a big mover, I don't think. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Feels like it has a birth of a nation. Not the stigma, obviously, but it's a big movie that just sort of duds out when it f- hits the box office, despite all of the great reviews. Well, you know, I think a film like this is really just in its element for the uh, in the uh, award circuit, mm-hmm. and whatever it happens to do yeah. in the theater is just sort of a bonus. Uh, next week we're reviewing Nocturnal Animals, starring Amy Adams again, and the Prince of Persia, and our boy Jakey J, Jakey G, Jakey J, <laughs> Jakey J, and I think Michael Shannon is also kicking ass in this oh, one. Oh, uh, Green Man! So this one should be good. I heard it's got a badass ending that sort of is baffling some audiences. It should be a good discussion. I Ooh, think. All right. I, I think it's one that you need to. Well, I like to talk about. I like afterwards. everybody in this cast, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah where are you uh, on the internet these uh, days? Like, what I do you am... what do you do if you want to find Mike Lind on the internet? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at Michael R. Lind. Okay. Sometimes I tweet. All right. 
other times I don't. So <laughs> uh, you can follow me. I'm on Twitter at Scott Wilson BC. Uh, we are on Twitter at Vertical Viewing, on Napster, on Instagram at Vertical Viewing, on LimeWire, New Good York, LimeWire, on ShareBear. Uh, yeah, go to iTunes. Leave us your five star review, your finest five stars. Uh, yeah, none of that shitty tarnished star no. stuff. Uh, check it out. Leave us a uh, review in the review box. Make sure it's some sort of Thanksgiving leftover dish. Medley. Just to- something that we can toss into a food processor, bake in a pan, and then just eat with our hands like some sort of prison, you know, prison loaf type thing. Sound good? I, I, I don't know about the name, but no. I, the loaf itself sounds, sounds pretty good to sounds me. Sounds awful, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can also go to verticalviewing.com. You can click the donate button. That PayPal link is totally, totally optional, but recommended. Yeah, we would appreciate it very and much. Encouraged. And to all those that have, thank you. Oh, yeah. Uh, it helps us offset the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show, uh, slicing off that internet turkey. Internet loaf. Oh, man. Inter- like, you just break off a crumb of that internet loaf mm. with your hands. Uh, it's no good. No. Uh, no virus protection so, software so, on that. So help us keep this show ad-free. Donate. PayPal link is on verticalviewing.com. Just a little donate. Switch it over to PayPal, and it'll uh, allow you to filter in some Doge coins mm-hmm. if you have any lying around. Uh, any final thoughts? Or oh, it was uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> no. I no no final thoughts. I think I've got them all out for this film. We did it. Yeah. Uh, it just it had some nice shots. Mm-hmm. It, it did winter well. There's not okay. a lot of films I see that. I mean, and they were obviously shooting. In winter, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. so they were cold, uh, but not a lot of films show okay. just like actual winter. Actual winter. Bad Santa Two did a decent job. All right, they were in Montreal for that one, I think. So mm, it can get cooled there. Yeah, yeah. New England and the East Coast, definitely cold. Yeah. Oh man, I'm not into that. So no. next week, Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, should I'm be good. Looking forward. It's to gonna that. be a packed December. I don't know how we're gonna fit all this shit in. There might be a few bonus episodes thrown around. I think so, right? Yeah, there's so much stuff coming out. Let us know, verticalviewing at gmail.com, folks. What do you want us to review in December? Are there any goodies coming out that we should be checking out that we might miss? Right? Silence. Silence. Uh, Fences. Gold has been moved. Silent Fences. um, Oh, Silent Fences. I haven't heard of that one. What is that collateral beauty? That thing looks ridiculous, right? That Will Smith movie where... He's meeting uh, sadness, and he's meeting, you know, love, and he's meeting pain or something. These characters embodying the embodying looks, these weird emotions. It looks like another Seven Pounds, but fuck, but mixed uh, with Christmas Carol or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see. No, that one's not I'm, gonna be seen. I'm not sure how I feel about Will Smith anymore. He's kind of a dumb fuck. Just putting it out there. <laughs> not going that far, but <laughs> I don't know him personally. <laughs> but but the films that he's been doing, I'm not uh, so sold on. Well, all right. Uh, Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, what do you do? Keep it vertical.